You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hey, everybody. I'm Devin. I'm your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast, and I have Alan here with me. Hello, hello. Alan is a staff member uh, for one of our other companies, Traffic and Funnels, and he is my volunteer today um, to basically go over the entire process, answer questions, real estate 101, total beginner. So uh, now that we are live, you guys that are tuning in, let us know where you are watching from. And I'll get this live stream shared into our groups. Um, and you guys that are, if you're watching live and you have any questions about the process, please post them in the comments so that we can ask them. I'm sure Alan is going to have a ton. I will do my best. I am the aforementioned dummy in this title, so I know virtually nothing about buying real estate. Okay. So for the people who don't know you, um, why don't you share a little bit about like who you are, what you do here, sure and thing. what your background is? Yeah. So uh, I am, my name is Alan Mowers. I am the uh, content manager for Traffic and Funnels. So I put together all the social media efforts for us, manage all the YouTube videos and podcasts for a lot of the companies. I'm currently doing two of the companies right now. But yeah, I just I uh, professional media creator. Uh, that's my background. I went to school for it. Uh, moved to Nashville not too long ago. Been with the company for coming up just on two months now. So been here a little while, long enough to get a good feel for everything. And now I get to do fun things like this. Okay, cool. So have you ever purchased any real estate before? Absolutely not. I have been a renter my entire adult life. So in the Seven moves that I've done in seven years, none of them have been an ownership situation. It's always been rental. Okay. Um, did you did you ever want to buy? Did you have you ever? It's always been a long term goal, but it's not something that uh, my wife and I have been able to do as of yes. We weren't ever in a place long enough that we could justify trying to put down the cash to uh, pick up a house. Okay. Cool. So I've worked with a lot of investors that have they've never purchased a primary residence, mm -hmm. and they're now investing in real estate because um, they see that it's something they can do to actually put their money to work for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I want to do today is basically just kind of go over the entire process with you, how everything works, Sweet. give you um, some transparency on how how we make money. I think that's important for people to, to understand, to build trust, mm -hmm. uh, and then just kind of talk about what, you know, whatever aspects of the process of the process that you have questions on, sure. ask them and we'll dive into more detail. And as folks that are watching have questions and they uh, you know, type those in the, in the chat, we will address those as well. There's a couple aspects to our business okay. and how everything works. Um, and I think that's important for people to, to understand. Um, there's some things that make us really different from a lot of the other quote unquote, turnkey providers mm -hmm. out there. First is that uh, the houses that we make available for investors like you that mm -hmm. we essentially flip, that's not our main thing. Um, our main thing is building our portfolio, which is sure. Chris and Taylor's portfolio. And I think what you know a lot of people don't know is this whole thing, um, you know, 
It started out of selfish pursuits. Chris and Taylor wanted to build a portfolio. Sure. They weren't necessarily planning on building another business. They wanted to just buy. Um, so they picked up a couple of houses from turnkey providers. Mm -hmm. There's a few of them out there. And the industry standard is like a 7 to 8% cash return. Okay. Uh, so, you know, they bought a couple of those, and that's an okay return. Um, and the service wasn't that great. So then they thought, well, since we have some resources, why don't we see if we could do this ourselves? You know, uh, Taylor had background in property management. Chris had background in the mortgage industry. So they, uh, so they bought a couple houses and rehabbed and rented out mm -hmm. and proved that the model worked. Okay. And then some of our clients from Traffic and Funnels or other companies started to find out, like, hey, Chris and Taylor kept telling them, invest your money. This is what we're doing. We're investing in real estate and started to ask, well, how can we get in? How can we get in on that too? Sure. Which is basically how this whole thing snowballed. It was just the inherent demand from friends, clients, like we want to do what mm -hmm. you guys are doing. So everybody invests money. Everybody gets a piece of all the houses that are going in. No. No. Okay. No. Walk me through it. Okay. So, uh, we have the houses that we hold are in our portfolio. Yep. And then there are some houses that are made available for investors, which would be somebody like you. Got it. Uh, where you would actually own that house yourself. Outright. You would be building your own portfolio. Got it. So what we do is we've identified three markets that we're actively buying in. Birmingham, Alabama, Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and Kansas City, Missouri are three markets. So as our acquisitions team is looking in those markets, anytime we find a property that mm -hmm. fits our grid, we just go ahead and buy it. And then we'll decide later, is this one that we're going to hold or is it one that we're going to make available for an investor? Gotcha. A lot of people want to know, how do we decide which That's a good one question. And what, like, why did you choose those three specific markets? Great question. So each market is a little different mm -hmm. and provides slightly different benefits. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that need to come into play in order for a property to fit our grid, to fit our model, to get the kind of returns that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, property taxes need to be fairly low. Purchase prices in comparison to rent rates, like there needs to be a, a lot of people hear of the 1% rule. That's a, a fairly good rule where your rent is close to about 1% of the purchase price. Got it. Not everything falls exactly in that rule, but pretty close to it. That's a, a quick identifier if a property could cash flow well. Uh, so we're looking for low property taxes, high rent prices, mm -hmm. low purchase prices in markets that are uh, growing, um, appreciating, and where there's a high demand for rental property. Okay. So all of those things need to come into play. Uh, those things don't all come into play here in Nashville, like where we actually... Sure, because property value is a lot higher around in this area. Yeah. And this market is, I would call it inflated, to be honest. It's super hot and you cannot get the, you can't get the rent to justify the The purchase. total investment. Yeah. The numbers just don't work. But in the three markets that we've identified, the numbers work really well, um, and each one has slightly different benefits. So Kansas City, for example, has a little bit lower um, appreciation mm -hmm. than the other two markets. It's around 3%. It's positive. It's growing. But it's more like, you know, it's gradual. 
however, the cash returns in Kansas City tend to be the highest of the three markets. So a lot of the properties that we find there are 16, 17, 18% cash return, sometimes even higher occasionally. You know, those are the anomalies when, when we get them over 20%. Um, in Charlotte, it's the total opposite end of the spectrum. We're getting, it's, I would say it's about an 8% appreciation rate in Charlotte right now. Um, and rent rates have increased like 5% just in the last year. So the market there is growing. People are, are moving there like crazy. So because there's a lot of demand there, mm -hmm. our cash returns are more like 10, 11, 12%. Okay. Um, I tell people all day long, if you can get double digit returns in the Charlotte market and you walk away from it, like you're crazy. You're crazy. Because yeah. that appreciation and growth makes it's it- Only to get better. Exactly. It's a longer term play. Yeah. And then Birmingham basically falls in the middle of the two. Cash returns, 13, 14, 15, 16% appreciation, four to 5%, depending on the, the, the part of the city. So for our portfolio that we hold, we're looking to stay balanced in those three markets because each one provides slightly different benefits, a little bit more immediate over here, longer term benefit with the equity play okay. in Charlotte. Uh, so when our acquisitions team identifies opportunities that fit our model in any one of these markets, we make a move on it. Okay. We basically go ahead and buy it. And then we'll decide later, is this one that we're going to hold or are we going to make it available for an investor like you? Okay. So how do we decide? Yes. <laughs> exactly. First, we're, we're going to put our own oxygen mask on first. Okay. Right. Because our main goal is building that portfolio. Right. So if our target for the month is to hold, say, 2.5 million or next month, I think it's going to be around 3 million. We're going to make sure that we meet that threshold. You acquire all the properties that you need to to make sure that you hit that bottom line, and then you start acquiring others. Exactly. Yeah. And the overflow is what's available for the investors. Uh, we're also going to look to make sure that we're balanced in the markets that we're in. So if the acquisitions team, if they find like 30 deals in Birmingham and 20 in Kansas City and 10 in Charlotte, then the overflow inventory that's available for investors is going to be wherever the surplus is. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in, in theory, just like stock, you want to make sure that you aren't diverse. You want to diversify your portfolio. So you're not dependent on one market. So if one market were to suddenly tank or not do as well, you would be insured and kind of um, uh, insulated from those kind of yeah, risks. Absolutely. And, you know, even if a particular, if a particular market were to tank in terms of prices, like mm -hmm. purchase prices, that wouldn't affect rent rates. Those two um, are not correlated the way that you might think they are. Sure. Um, and generally, when it becomes more difficult to buy, when fewer people are buying, there's more inherent demand for rental, sure. which actually can drive the rent price up. But yes, okay. if any one of those markets were to become jeopardized, then we're balanced among all three. And like I mentioned, each one has a slightly, like they have different benefits, Imme more immediate return, more long-term return. So um, that's the way that like we've hedged our portfolio. And a lot of our investors are doing something very similar, especially guys like you that are just getting started mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do. They're yeah. copying, like, to figure what out are you guys what doing? What are you guys doing? Yeah, I'll do that. Um, 
And then there's other folks that are seasoned investors and they are familiar with these markets or they've identified which one of the three they like and maybe they go all in on that one thing. Um, and I do one-on-one -on -one calls or conversations with people all the time to help them figure out like what is a good strategy for you and where you're trying to go. Yeah. Um, purchase prices vary a little bit in these markets too. Mm -hmm. So if somebody doesn't have as much capital to work with, they may want to focus on one market to start with. Um, and I can help people figure that out. Yeah, so like what kind of numbers are you talking to like to get in on something? So say I'm completely bought in, I definitely want to do this. How do we begin this process? Totally, okay. So the first step is we've got to get you on our buyer's wait list. Sure. I have more investors every month than I do houses. You know, our inventory is selling out every Wednesday. They're, they're getting sold out. So we have a wait list that you need to get on uh, in order to make a move on a house. In order to get on that list, we need one of two things. Proof of funds for individuals that want to be cash buyers. Mm -hmm. uh, for people who want to finance, we need a pre-approval from a lender. Got it. Figuring out what kind of loan would be the best fit for somebody, mm -hmm. I can help them do, you know, dig a little bit into their finances. How do you file your taxes? What do you look like on paper? And, uh, and then I can help them figure out, do we need a traditional loan, a commercial loan, or if they're going to be a cash buyer? Um, why would somebody want to pay cash mm -hmm. is something that it's comes... A, it's a good question. Yeah. What a lot of investors do that have the liquidity to pay cash is they'll finance it down the road. They'll do a cash out finance. Mm -hmm. um, but the process is just really quick and smooth when you have the liquidity to do a cash buy. Some of our deals are for cash buyers only. If there's a quick turnaround, um, depending on the margin on each deal too, as I, when I post them in the group, sometimes there's a price and then there's a cash buyer price. Got it. So if you have the liquidity, you can get a little bit more instant equity in that house and then finance your capital out down the road and lather, rinse, repeat. Um, also, closing costs are a lot less on a cash on a cash purchase. Okay. So that's one benefit, um, and it's just really quick and easy. And cash buyers do get to jump to the top of the list. So, if there's a couple people fighting over a house, which happens just about every week, and somebody's got cash, they can cash jump to the top. Yeah, we have a lot of other people that they only want to finance, or that's the only thing they can do. Um, I'm working with some people right now, for example, that are, they're getting close to retirement and they're looking to add to their income because they're going to be on a fixed income. So they want to finance, use a little bit of their capital and kind of maximize how much cash flow they can get from these properties. Sure. So you want to get on the wait list. Yes. So the next thing that we need to do then is get you pre-approved with the lender. Unless, do you have, I mean, do you have 200K in cash? I mean, no, it's okay. a little bit more than I could fit under my mattress. But uh, so I definitely would need to go and get a type of loan. So can you explain the two different types of loans to me? Commercial versus yeah. the other one. Totally. So a conventional loan, those are the those are the loans that pretty much everybody gets on their primary residence, the houses that they live in. They are backed by Fannie and Freddie. So they're essentially, you know, kind of government-backed loans. Got it. Um, there's also FHA, USDA, and VA loans, which are, they're very much government-backed. Those are not for investment property. Um, if you ever see advertisements on the TV for like low down payment, 
or no down payment house purchase loans, mm -hmm. those are not the kind that you can use for an investment property. Gotcha. With investment property, you're pretty much always going to put down 20% with a conventional loan. Um, the requirements to qualify for those loans tend to be more strict because okay. they're also the loans that are going to give you the best terms. Gotcha. You're going to get the longest amortization, longest time to pay. Uh, you're going to get the cheapest interest rates, right? But they're the most difficult to qualify for. Sure. In order to qualify for those, are you self-employed or are you W-2? W-2. You're W-2. Okay. So, um, like, if you're a W-2 employee, they're going to need at least one, two years of tax returns. They're going to need recent pay stubs. They're going to need copies of uh, recent bank statements. Sure. To prove that you have the have down the money. payment. Mm -hmm. Prove that you have a job, that you're still getting the income that you say that you're getting. Because even though it's an investment property with a conventional loan, they need to know that if there's no tenant in that house, mm -hmm. can Alan still make the payments? Make the note. Right. Exactly. Uh, so basically, it's, I don't want to say it's a painful process, but that is, for most of our investors, the most difficult part is getting the loan approved. The first one. The second one, way faster. Because you already have all the documentation and you have the proof that you've done this once, you've already been approved with it once. So as long as nothing major has shifted in your life, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. And especially if you keep using the same lender. You know, and I have referrals for people on, you know, lenders that would be a good fit for them, um, whether they're looking to buy in all markets or just one, and they're going to do this traditional okay. loan route. So uh, I would connect you if we were going to go the traditional route, I'd connect you with somebody. You would submit all that paperwork and within 24 to 48 hours, they would be able to give you a pre-approval letter, which would say Alan can buy an investment property up to XYZ dollars. Okay. Um, so that's that route. Commercial financing is totally different. Okay. Completely different underwriting process. With the traditional loans, mm -hmm. there are guidelines that the lender doesn't get to bend those rules. Got it. There's no bending. It is what there's it is. There's no haggling on that. There's, there's, just, no... there's a list of restrictions that you have to tick all these boxes, otherwise it's going to be a no. Yes. And a lot of those guidelines with conventional loans... Um, they don't, they tend to not vary a whole lot okay. from lender to lender. Little nuances and things, uh, but not a ton. If you don't have a couple years of good tax returns or a good W-2 paying job, that's not going to work for you. Okay. Um, a lot of the guys on our sales team, for example, they don't fit in that box. They're self-employed. They've been self-employed for a short period of time. They make great money. You, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, they've got a ton of cash coming in, but they don't look good on paper. So sure. those guys uh, are a great fit for commercial financing. Okay. Also, individuals that if they did not want the loan to be in their personal name, if they wanted the loan to be in an entity's name. Gotcha. So they want the debt associated with an LLC. Creating a separation so they, so if something were to go belly up, then they're not on the hook personally. The LLC would take the hit from tax purposes, depending on how it was set up. Yeah. I mean, they're still going to be responsible for, for that payment. They would still be the guarantor sure. on the loan. 
Um, but let's say Alan wants to buy a rental house and Alan wants to buy a house to live in, but you don't want your debt from the rental house, which a year from now is totally paying for itself. Mm -hmm. It's cool, but you don't want that debt to affect your ability to qualify for a house that you want to live in. Got it. Okay. That's another reason that some people choose to separate. Gotcha. Um, or if you wanted to start an investment portfolio with a business partner, you could do that with a commercial loan by forming an entity first and taking the debt in the entity. Got it. So with a commercial loan, uh, those vary a ton. Okay. Depending on, is it a small local bank that's holding the debt in-house? Um, is it a private equity firm? What are their requirements? And it, it varies all over the place. I did one of these podcasts with uh, Peyton a couple months ago because we've done some commercial loans for him with a small local bank. Sure. Um, we've also got a great partnership with a private equity firm that their requirements are pretty simple. Um, it's a 25% down payment, and if you have over a 680 credit score, then you will be okay. And the next thing they look at is the house itself. Okay. They want to analyze the numbers on the house because they're ensuring, they're making their decision to give the loan based somewhat on Allen and a lot on the property itself. Is it going to cash flow? If Allen got hit by a taco truck and that private equity firm was now in ownership of this asset, like, is it a profitable asset? Sure. Would we want to... Are we going to lose money in the deal if the guarantor is just, as you said, run over by a taco truck? Right. Or whatever. Um, which is, I mean, that's pretty nice because all of, all of our properties cash flow really well. So they qualify for this. Got it. Um, some of the small local banks, they still want to see tax returns and a personal financial statement. And it still is a lot of paperwork. But if you don't fit in the traditional box, there are lots of other boxes that we can look at just depending on what is going to be the best for your personal situation. Okay. And without revealing to the whole world, like your credit score and your cash on hand and all of that, yeah. <laughs> let's just assume that you've, um, we've done a traditional loan, Okay. you know, cause most likely you would be able to do that. Um, which is the cheapest money. So we get you pre-approved. Uh, the next step then is to, to get you a house. All right. And there's kind of a knockdown drag out fight every, <laughs> every Wednesday as the new inventory comes out. That's when you do the 10 AM inventory releases. Yeah. You've seen them. I have. Okay. Yeah. So I do that, uh, every Wednesday in the Facebook group, we have a running document of all of the inventory that's available. I take the old sheet down. I put the new one up. And then the gloves are off. It's first come, first serve. The first person who's on that buyer's list, meaning we've gotten them pre-approved or we've got proof of funds that sends me a message and says, hey, Devin, I want that house, then they get that deal. Uh, if the fight is between two people and one of them is a cash buyer, though, like... Cash buyer always wins. Cash buyer always wins. Yeah. So let's say you say, hey, Devin, I want this house. Dibs. Dibs. <laughs> Cool. Uh, the next step then is I would send you a contract. Um, pretty simple. If anybody, you know, if you had questions about it, I could go through it with you, but it's 
pretty standard real estate contract, and we always do two thousand in earnest money. Okay. Earnest money is basically a refundable deposit. If something goes wrong with the deal, you can get that back. Got it. If you freak out, like on closing day, and say I'm not going to do this, we could keep that. Got right? it. It's okay. valuable. Sure. Valuable consideration for the contract. Uh, but you know, like if something goes bad wrong in the rehab, the house catches fire, anything like that goes wrong, you get that back. But okay. it means that you've got some skin in the game. Right. So after we sign the contract, um, our rehab team is going to finish up the rehab. Now, when I post those deals every week, 99% mm -hmm. of the time, we're not yet done with the rehab. You know, investors want our deals so fast that we're, we don't- You're still working on them. Yeah, we're still working on them. So on that sheet, you'll find a link to a buyer's folder, which is where you'll see all the due diligence that you need to say, yes, I want this one. Uh, and in there, you'll find comps, uh, a pro forma showing you the price, the rent rate, taxes, insurance, all of those expenses. Okay. A uh, copy of the rehab list so you know all the work. All the things that's been done. Yeah, all the things that are being done to it. And while we're under contract, we're going to finish doing all that work. Our team is basically going to handle everything for you in the transaction. Sweet. Yeah. You don't have to know how everything works because that literally is my job. That literally is what I get paid for. So I'll be going back and forth with your lender with the title company who's gonna do our closing. So we always close at a, a local title company in whatever market the house is in. Um, I'll be going back and forth with them, uh, getting you some update photos from the rehab team. As soon as the rehab is done, we'll schedule for an appraisal to happen. If you're using a lender, the lender is going to require an appraisal. Okay. Uh, if you're a cash buyer, there's no contingency for for an appraisal and we provide the comps to to show where we're getting our uh, where we're getting our price and rent range and all okay. of that. But a lender is going to require an appraisal. So pretty much as soon as the paint is dry, we're gonna coordinate for all of those things to happen. The appraiser to go out and also a professional photographer. Because we wanna start marketing for the tenant as quickly as possible. You don't you don't have to worry about about any of that. We will figure that out for you. A lot of people are like, oh, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't want to have to find a tenant, deal with tenants, blah, blah, blah. You, you guys handle all of that. Yeah, we handle all of that. We're not doing that. Like nobody's calling Lance at two o'clock in the morning about their toilet backing up or anything like that. Like, no. Um, so we get those professional photos taken. We'll send them over to the property manager and start looking for a tenant as we're getting close to closing. All Got of it. that rehab is gonna be done before we get to closing. Um, it's just not done when we when we go under the contract 99% of the time. Every now and again, I might have one that's finished, but that's like super rare. That is not normal. Okay. Uh, so for closing, everybody closes remotely. We would schedule for a mobile notary to come and meet you wherever and you would while well, you work here so we would go in the conference room <laughs> and i would be your closer and sign our documents mail them back to the title company you would wire in your down payment which would be about 20 percent of the purchase price sure and uh from that at that point the house fully conveys into your ownership it's your house 
So we don't have any ongoing ownership in the property itself. It's Allen's. Um, if you decided down the road you wanted to sell it or you wanted to use a different property manager or whatever, mm -hmm. it's we have no it's, no It's all balls in my court. Totally. Uh, so we close and we're, sometimes we have a tenant before we get to closing, mm -hmm. but not always. On average, it takes about 30 days to find a tenant. So depending on the timeline of our, when the rehab finishes and when we close, we'll be looking for that tenant. If we haven't already found them at closing, our team is going to continue to, you know, work with you and the property manager until a tenant is moved in, secured, deposit is paid, rent is collected. Uh, and then the property manager is going to collect the rent every month. They'll direct deposit the rent into your bank account minus their Sweet. management fee. Mm -hmm. As those maintenance things come up, the tenant is going to call the property manager and they're going to handle that for you. And then at the end of the year, they'll send you a 1099 and financial statements and all that that you'll take to your accountant. Um, there's a lot of tax benefits with investment property, okay. um, such as there's depreciation, you're gonna have any of the expenses associated with the property, you get to write those off. Um, so you'll wanna take all of that to your accountant at the end of the year. Essentially, it's, an, it's another business. Okay. Um, which is something that you don't get in like the fund, for example. The other way that some people invest with us is they just put money into our fund, our SEC registered fund. It's not open most of the time. It's not open right now. And it is a minimum 200K investment. So that's like a more of a limited opportunity. Sure. When it opens up, the people that are interested in that really need to jump on it. So once the tenant is, is in place and moved in, your ongoing relationship will primarily be, primarily be with the property manager. Okay. Um, and then I'm here, the group is there, Whenever you have questions, you know, people uh, can reach out to the group. They can reach out to me and we'll, we're here for ongoing support. But again, if you, the house is yours, so you could do whatever you want with it in the future. Okay. So that's kind of like the general overview of how everything works. And now let's dive deeper on whatever aspects of that process you want more information on. Sure. So what would you consider to be the biggest pain points of the whole process? Is it, is it the documentation? Is it, how often do you have people who get cold feet right towards the end and then bail? Um, not very often. I, I would say that the, the paperwork part of getting approved for the loan is the most painful for the majority of investors that I've worked with so far. Um, I, can't, I can't really think of anything. That's been the biggest, the constant feedback that I've gotten from like a lot of the investors that I've had on the live have told me like that was a, a pain in the rear to go through that. As far as how many people get cold feet, um, I think that's happened twice. Okay. So very low percentage. Yeah. And then I, I like I had somebody that lost their job okay. with all the stuff that's going on and we just, of course, let her out of the contract and sent sent her money back to her. Like, you couldn't expect that to happen. Uh, but I, I think I've only had one person that just, like, would, was not mentally prepared. 
you know, and I let people know, like, if you don't feel comfortable, just wait, like there will be another house next week or next month. It's not like there's a shortage. Well, there is because well, there's, <laughs> there's fair enough. There's a fight going on every week, but we're not going anywhere is my point. Sure. You know, so if you're not really comfortable with the process or with the deal, like ask some questions, reach out to somebody else in the group who's invested, get back on the phone with me or whatever. Um, yeah, because we, we have tons of people that want houses. So there's no like high pressure sales going on here. You know, we don't need to. Got it. What else? Let's talk about the process. Say I buy the first house and then I'm like, yes, absolutely. And okay. what if I wanted to diversify and then go into a different market? How does that work? Oh yeah, we can totally do that. It's, um, there's really nothing different in the process no. at all. It would be a different property manager because um, we have a local property manager in each market. So uh, that would probably be the one difference is getting introduced to them. Um, they're all very professional that we work with and the, you know, their paperwork might look a little bit different, but it pretty much says the same thing. Okay. Um, and I'm here to help you with that. Got it. So that's pretty simple. And that's what a lot of people do do is, you know, diversify whether they go, you know, some, some folks are buying like five houses in this market and then they'll move to the next and others are doing one, 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 you know, just whatever makes the most sense for you. Got it. Okay. So if you had someone like me who was wanting to get started for the first time and they were nervous or they had to convince a significant other, a partner that this was a way to invest capital in the long term, like how, it, what, what was the, what would the sales pitch kind of look like to say, look, I think I want to put my money into this because I want to get this type of return in a longer term investment that's a little more stable than something like the stock market. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't pitch him. No? For, no. No. I wouldn't try to pitch your wife. Uh, that's a bad plan. <laughs> um, but I, I let people know that they should, in, they should bring their spouse. If their spouse is a big part of these decisions, mm -hmm. then they need to bring their spouse on the call. You know, or we do another call with their with their partner. Um, I know, like a couple of investors that I've talked to, one partner was sold, and the other one took a lot more convincing. So, get the three of us in in a chat on a call or whatever, so that I can I can help them get answers to their questions. Sure. And then you guys can make the decision uh, whether it makes sense or not. You know, and a lot of times it's probably just a lack of, it's a lack of clarity. Like they, they're hearing the news from you, right. but not from directly from the horse's mouth. Got it. One yeah. person has more clarity than the other person does, understands, or has been given the information better. And the other party just might not be a good communicator and can't communicate the finer details and the specifics of the contract and such. Yeah. But I think it's important you know, for married couples to make these decisions together and both get on the call and, uh, and let's answer everybody's questions. That's way easier than like playing telephone. Yeah, no, definitely better, better to get everybody on board. So you don't have a time bomb waiting yeah. uh, at, later on down the road. Yeah, totally. What else? <sighs> You have questions about the rehab, about the property management. Property management, actually. How do you vet your property management sources? Total transparency. We've fired some property managers. 
I used to own a property management company. So that, and then Taylor, you know, he, he was in charge of like 6,000 properties when he was in property management many, many moons ago. So I think that background has helped us to screen people better. Um, cheaper is not always better when it comes to property managers. That's one thing. Uh, looking at the guidelines that they require for the tenants that they approve. Mm -hmm. You know, what are their requirements? And making sure that their requirements are in line with the standards that we feel comfortable with. You know, how much is it three and a half times the rent that they have to have an income? What kind of background checks do you do? Things of that nature. Um, and, you know, like I said, we have fired a couple that we weren't, we weren't happy with. And if the communication was terrible, um, or it was just really hard to, you know, like one, one was essentially, they were a discount and we were getting what we paid for. So we found somebody else, fired them, replaced them. Yeah. Okay. So a little of that, we learned the hard way in the beginning. And, uh, but right now, you know, we're really comfortable with everybody that we're working with. The relationships are going really well. Um, and our investors seem to be pretty happy too. Yeah. It's such an important relationship. I know in the time that I've been renting, I've had two or three bad relationships with, uh, property managers. And that is never fun because it makes every single aspect of visiting that office or talking to that person, trying to get service done an absolute pain. And it makes it so much harder. Yeah. And it is, it is a very important part of investing at a distance is the relationship with the property manager. And there's a couple things, you know, you want to make sure that the tenants are taken care of, mm -hmm. but you also want to make sure that like that the property manager is being responsible with spending the owner's money. You don't want to just have somebody that's going to approve every single maintenance or request that maybe that should be charged back to the tenant, mm. you know, or maybe that's not really necessary. Uh, so you, you want somebody that's going to be able to discern those things and essentially be an advocate for both parties, take good care of the tenant, mm -hmm. but also protect the investor's money. Um, and they can be, they can be hard to find, you know, somebody who, who really understands and wants to take care of both parties. It's almost like a divorce attorney that's like working, you know, <laughs> working for two parties. They exist. They're mediators, you know, uh, but you want to find somebody that can, that can fight for both sides. When it's working well too, like the good property manager can work as like on the ground PR for the investment firm too. Like it, people will know like this is being managed by this property group. And if this property group, if this person has a bad experience at one property, what does that say about the rest of the group? It can influence the opinion. But if you have someone who's doing it right, it, it just makes everyone happy along that line. Like all the tenants, everything like, this is great. I will highly recommend it to whenever. And should they ever come in at any capital, they might look at you guys. Well, a couple of our property managers have been sending me referrals for investors because they, you know, the, the quality of our property is so high that now other investors that they work with, they're sending my way. Got it. So how do you ensure, so with regards to rehabs, obviously you've got three different primary locations. Are you working with uh, individualized contractors in those areas? How do, you, how do you guarantee the quality across all of them to make sure that you're getting the best out of those investments? That's a great question. Um, Casey is our rehab manager and that is his department. 
Um, he is always on the go, ensuring quality control in each one of those markets. So we have, um, we've been growing a ton. The number of properties that we're rehabbing every month, um, the number of contractors that we're working with, and also getting project managers in each market so that we have constant boots on the ground that are you know, our, our staff. Um, so Casey is constantly on the road, checking the quality control. I can't imagine what, I mean, there's a reason that each one of us has our own, our own roles <laughs> and things that we're great at, because I, I can't imagine keeping track of all, of all of the contractors. And then with our acquisitions team, it's very similar, you know, bird dogs, agents, finding deals and things like that. And I think I'll, I'll probably have uh, Taylor Street Matter, our acquisitions manager on the podcast soon, because um, a lot of people want to know mm. about that part of the process. Um, but yeah, quality control is really important. So as soon as the rehab is finished, Casey is going to verify the work with the, with the contractor that's physically there. Um, he has a system with getting lots of photos and verification, and we provide the rehab photos for our investors. Sure. So you can see before, during, and after. Nice. Uh, and then also, as soon as the rehab is done, the property managers go in behind us, and they're going to do a walkthrough and send us a punch list if there's anything that they see that's that needs to be taken care of. And then we can take care of those things as well. Um, also, before Casey comes up with the scope of work for the rehab, he's going to have a professional inspection done. And that is going to basically redline everything that could potentially be an issue with the house. Okay. Health and safety violations, anything that's out of code. Um, and the inspector's job is to literally like red pin every, every single thing. Every single thing. Yeah. So Casey will then go through that with a fine tooth comb and, you know, evaluate things that potentially need to be repaired and determine yes or no. Um, and then look at health and safety violations, things that are out of code really need to be taken care of major systems, uh, like roof HVAC, things of that nature and kind of evaluate, like, is this something that needs to be repaired or not? For example, if a roof has 15 years left in it, it would be a waste of money to go ahead and re just replace it now. Right. You know, there's a lot of turnkey providers out there that they do essentially a cookie cutter rehab on every single house. They do the exact same thing. Well, what if that's not necessary? Then that expense is getting passed on to who? To you, mm. right? So. That's something I think that makes us really different is because we look at, at each house and come up with that rehab list as if we were going to hold it. What okay. do we really need to do to make sure the house is in great condition and increase the rent rate but not overspend and therefore have to over, you know, overcharge you and or overspend out of our own pocket, mm. you know? Um, generally we do some kind of cosmetic improvements. Usually there's a kitchen upgrade, um, fresh coat of paint can do wonders. All the things that would absolutely help it get out the door as fast as possible and make the tenants absolutely happy. Yeah. Yeah. And increase the rent rate. So depending on, and it varies from house to house. So, um, 
we use a lot of the same materials over and over, which helps us on cost and also helps us keep a really similar aesthetic, which is classic and clean, um, modern, but not too trendy. And we look at making sure that we can, we want to get the higher end of the rent rate, right? Right. So we're going to spend the money that's going to get us a higher rent return or you a higher rent return. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an opportunity to add a bedroom or a half bath, that is really going to increase the rent way more than like granite countertops in a 100K house in, you know, suburban Birmingham. Uh, so they're not necessarily the same improvements that you would see if you were just going to sell a house to an owner-occupant. Got it. Yeah. Great question. If you had to tell, or if you had to be ready with kind of three points that you tell everybody as you get started in this process, what would they be? Uh, I would say that the loan approval is the most painful part if you're going that route. Number two, you don't have to know everything. Cause that's, that's good. That's our job. That is my job literally is to, is to do that for you. And third, I would say, you know, ask questions. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. And our group too, Mm. you know, like that's a great place to ask questions. There's a lot of investors in there that they've invested with us. Or they've invested elsewhere. They have other experience. You know, it's a great place to get feedback. Um, so I would say, yeah, if you have questions, like, just ask them. All right. I mean, that would be really everything I would ask. I would be having the conversation of, hmm, okay, I need to start doing some saving, and I need to start getting the finances in order, because this would be an easy next transition point. Yeah. We, I mean, we try to make it as easy as possible on people, um, to not have to figure out all those steps. It's essentially like one-stop shop. And I would say too, if like some folks that I talk to that are, that are saving up money, they want to know how much should I save up? Sure. That's kind of where we started. Our average deal purchase price is anywhere from like 90 to 130 K. Okay. So if you're planning on doing a 20% down payment, you're going to need like Minimum 20K. Okay. And I would suggest having a little bit of a buffer um, because you are going to have, there will be maintenance that comes up. And you'll have homeowner's insurance and and we're going to give you a a home warranty at closing that will cover a lot of your appliances and major systems and things, um, but nothing's foolproof. So give yourself a little bit of a buffer, but minimum 20K for the down payment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be all the questions that I have. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Are you ready to get on the list? I mean, I'm going to do some serious consideration about it. That's for sure. Okay. Right on. Sold. Okay. <laughs> uh, for you guys that are uh, that are watching on Facebook Live on the replay later, if you have any questions, just post them in the comments, and I will answer those for you. If you're listening later on the podcast and you want to you know, chat about anything one-on-one, go into a little bit more detail, wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist will take you to my calendar. Thank you so much, Alan, for being my volunteer. Absolutely. My REI for dummies. <laughs> Happy to help. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, y'all. We'll see you soon. Love you. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience, in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started, by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.